Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. Welcome to the show today. It is early January 2021. I say early because I actually don't know what the date is today. But I do know there is a lot of unrest in the world. We watched some of the election results come back from Georgia here the last couple days. And of course, the presidential inauguration coming up. And, you know, I'm tempted as we approach our show here in the morning um, that as we're starting to talk about theology, the objection in my mind is immediately, why are we talking about theology? Shouldn't we be talking about politics or, or some other thing that's more relevant? This seems to be the most irrelevant thing that we could be talking about right now. How would you guys answer that objection this morning? Well, I think in the past, always uh, people found uh, their sense of being from some solid truth and a connection to something greater than them. You know, we're living in a world right now where feelings are, dictate everything regardless of science or religion or anything like that. So I think that, you know, it is important. This is the great narrative of our life is to connect to uh, the Word of God. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, theology is the most practical thing that we can study because in the midst of the chaos of the world we live in, there's one thing that's sure, there's one thing that's solid, um, and that's God and what he's revealed about himself and his world. Um, And so while we are not oblivious to what's going on around us, the reality is that most of that is beyond our ability to control. And so, to me, the most practical thing I can do is fix my eyes on the one who does control all things Mm. and find my hope and strength and comfort and peace in him through Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And to me, what then becomes important is, well, what has Jesus said? Mm -hmm. What has Jesus revealed in his word? And so I study theology not just to get, hopefully, more knowledge, but specifically to get more knowledge of what God has deemed to be important as he's revealed it in his word, and then realize, oh, that then becomes practical, knowing God and then living out of the knowledge of who he is. Yeah, there's really no true knowledge of ourselves apart from a true knowledge of God. Yeah, Uh Last Sunday morning, I asked my congregation a question. I asked them, what, what do you think the Apostle Paul would have said if you had gone to him and said, Paul, our whole future hinges on who is the next emperor of, of the empire? And if, we, if the right person doesn't get on the throne of the empire in Rome, all is lost. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you think the Apostle Paul would have responded to that statement? I can, I can tell you you would have got a letter from him, and you'd be immortalized in the New Testament as a bonehead. Uh, <laughs> the idea that, you know, politics are important. Absolutely they're important. 
and it has to do with the direction of our country and uh, we love our country and uh, that's part of our part of loving our neighbors is loving our country and and there's there's <laughs> nothing wrong in fact there's a lot a lot good uh, with a patriotism with with love of country yeah but let's not get confused about who reigns overall yeah and uh, let's not let's not lose sight of where our citizenship lies. Our citizenship is in heaven, and, and from the, from there we await a savior. Uh, and that doesn't mean we don't care. We 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 are we are active. We are uh, active in politics. We we uh, we vote. Uh, we campaign, um, but don't ever lose hope right. uh, because Christ reigns. That's right. And real quick before we get into the word. Uh, the wor- every word that's written in the Bible has never been written divorced apart from the curse, apart from trials and afflictions. And what does God always do? I mean, I'm thinking about the book of Jeremiah as the, the people of Judah were about to go into exile. What is God doing? He's reminding of the new covenant promises. He's reminding them that uh, a, a savior is going to come who's going to sit on the throne of David. That's how he comforts his people. And that's exactly what we find in the New Testament too. All of these letters are written in the context of affliction. And it's always truths about God that God uses to comfort his people. So having said all that, we've been looking at the State of Theology survey that came out recently from Ligonier Ministries, and you can find it at thestateoftheology.com. And we're going to jump right into it. Statement number eight. Now, this was given you know, to 3,000 respondents, and they were able to agree or disagree with the statement, true or false. And um, statement number eight says this. The Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. Holy Spirit is a force, but it's not a personal being. Out of the respondents, the general population, 59% agreed. Did I get that right? And 46 evangelical, 46% of the evangelicals also agreed that the Holy Spirit is a force, but is not a personal being. Sounds like Star Wars. Well, yeah, and then what, what that indicates, uh, perhaps uh, people have been more influenced by Star Wars than they have been by Scripture, uh, because, of course, the, the Holy Spirit is, is the personal God. Uh, the Holy Spirit is God, uh, not a, you know, that we, maybe we need to do some basic review of the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, but the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. And we have a personal God, not a not an impersonal force. And uh, we could we could point to many scriptures. I've got one right here in front of me now. Um, Romans eight and verse twenty six says, "Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words." Now, that tells us that the Spirit knows our hearts, and the Spirit intercedes for us, prays for us. Uh, This is not an impersonal force. This is the personal God who knows us and loves us, uh, and the Spirit intercedes for us. Yeah, and there's lots of other scriptures that would back up what you just said. The Spirit teaches the Spirit reminds us, John 14, 26, uh, Jesus promises to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit. He will teach you all things. He will bring to your remembrance. The Spirit speaks, Acts eight twenty nine. The Spirit makes decisions, Acts fifteen twenty eight. 
There's just lots and lots of scriptures right. that teaches that the Spirit does personal things. I just want to go back to one of the, the passages that you had just alluded to about that Jesus promises that he'll send a helper. But Jesus doesn't say he's going to send a, a helper. He says, I'm going to send another helper. Mm-hmm. He's equating himself and the Holy Spirit. Both are helpers. So when he leaves, he's going to send another one like myself. Hmm. And so unless we're willing to say that Jesus is a force and not a personal being, then that sentence makes no sense that Jesus spoke. Mm-hmm. He has to be of a of a like kind of Jesus. If Jesus is a helper, the Spirit's a helper, one's a force and one's personal. Well, logically, I think we're going to get in, in trouble here. Um, but I think there are too many things that are spoken of in the scriptures that indicate that the Spirit has personal qualities. Mm-hmm. Um, Romans 15 talks about the love of the Spirit. I just have never felt the love of the wind. I've never felt the love of gravity. Um mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Ephesians 4.30 talks about not grieving the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know the last time I've grieved the, the, the sun rays as I've walked around, around town. I yeah. mean, so it, it, it's really troubling to me that over 40% of evangelicals think of the Spirit as a force when, when the activity— I just used two different verses of, of the scriptures. There are literally dozens that talk yes. about personal attributes of the Spirit, mm-hmm. right? which just the next step in my mind is going, wait, <laughs> what does it take to be called an evangelical? So, so maybe why does this even matter? I mean, well, why does it matter that evangelicals think that the Holy Spirit is a force? I mean, what, what are the practical ramifications of that? And what are the theological ramifications? So what? I mean, if, if I'm a skeptic, so what? Well, let's, let's take the, by, by comparison, uh, the force in Star Wars, which we, we have alluded to. And I said half seriously, um, but definitely uh, half serious, that uh, I think perhaps people have been more influenced by Star Wars than they have been by uh, Scripture. And the thing about the force in Star Wars is you don't, as a human being, you don't have to submit to the force. Why? Because it's impersonal. It's just this force that's out there. No, in in the Star Wars idea of the force, you are sovereign and you manipulate the power of the force. And the skill of the Jedi is to learn how to manipulate the power of the force and use it and now in in Star Wars, you're, you're, the, the Jedi are using it for good, right? But the Jedi are still in charge. Yeah, uh, they they are the ones that are sovereign, and they're and they're tapping into this impersonal force in order to use it for good. But Darth Vader uses it for evil. The very same force. Yeah. Okay. Now I don't know if I don't I don't know if George Lucas knew that much about ancient Gnosticism, but that's what this is. Uh, this is second, third century Gnosticism, uh, that you are sovereign and that you have this direct connection to this impersonal divine force. So in other words, it matters because it's changing the definition of God. It's absolutely changing the definition of God, and, and, it, and it makes us sovereign. 
the idea of an impersonal force makes us sovereign instead of God being sovereign. And an impersonal God is, is not in charge. Right. Is, it does not, does not reign. And an impersonal God is impersonal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that mm-hmm. was profound. <laughs> but, it, yeah. but it changes how we, how we live. I mean, if you yes. think about any type of relationship we have in life, if the other person becomes an object, yeah. that's a destructive, unhealthy relationship. The spirit is not a force. It's, there's a personal aspect of it. So when we sin, it's not abstract. We're, we're grieving the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. When we go through the difficult times of life, it's the Spirit that we're trying to keep in step with. Mm-hmm. It's the Spirit who gives us love and comfort. Mm-hmm. It's the Spirit through which all of the benefits of Christ come to us. So we can, in some ways, you can make him a force and maybe not lose some things, when you do that, you lose everything that's precious and dear and wonderful about the Christian faith, that the spirit that dwells within me is somebody that's personal and real. Yes, and There's, yeah. and the spirit of God knows me and knows you, cares for me, cares for you, knows me better than I know myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, an, an impersonal force does not do that. There's no grace from an impersonal force. There's no love from an impersonal force. That's right. Well, you've been listening to Gospel for Life. We're going to continue looking at this survey. If you want to look it up, it's called thestateoftheology.com, and we will see you next time. 